Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners once again today, and we're so thankful to have this opportunity to be with you and open up God's Word a little bit more, study a little bit deeper, learn some more from those rich teachings and truths, and how encouraging that ought to be to us. We're so thankful for all of our listeners. We know that many of you listen every day or close to it. Others listen very frequently as you have the opportunity, but you can't necessarily, because of your busy schedules, listen every day. We're thankful for you as much as you can live, you're an, or as much as you can listen, you're an encouragement to us. And we pray that it's an encouragement to you to listen to these studies and these programs. Others may be able to listen only very frequently, but you catch us when you can, off and on. And that can still be helpful to you. And our prayer is that you'll be able to listen more and more. Some of you may be listening for the very first time. And our prayer for you is that you will very quickly realize that we do exactly as the name of this program suggests. We search the scriptures. We dig deep into God's word. We look at it in detail. And yet we explain it in a way that we pray is easy to understand and that makes sense for your daily life. We want to help you not just learn the scriptures more thoroughly, but we want to help you get to heaven. We encourage you to move forward in your faith. And since faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, the more you learn, the stronger your faith and the deeper your faith should be growing. And our prayer is that that will ultimately lead you to come to God through Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins as you're baptized into him and repent of your sins and confess your faith in him. Then you can begin to live that new life, that reborn life spiritually, the life of a Christian, a life of faithfulness and obedience to God on a consistent basis, and be able to look forward to being with him in heaven for all of eternity. That's our prayer for you, and we really do pray for you. We encourage you to go to our website, tell others to do that, Go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Scroll down on the homepage, click on the podcast button, and sign up for our podcasting. It's all free. Take you about one minute. And then you will receive, your friends can also receive as they sign up, all of these radio programs automatically sent to your device, whichever device you choose. And then beyond that, you'll receive all of our sermons, all of our Bible classes, and a great feature that we call today's Bible class. That is podcast every day, about a 12-minute Bible study each day, to keep us in God's Word and keep us focused on our spiritual lives and in connection with God. So take advantage of that. Now, you can also use other features on our website, such as our articles, button. You can click on that and download and read and study through hundreds of biblically-based articles. We encourage you to take advantage. Again, all of that is free. We're going to get back into our study on God's grace. Now, we've been looking at this from several different specific points of view or aspects. This section that we began last time, I have labeled cheap grace. I made the point that a basic rule of thumb is you get out of something according to what you put into it. Or another way of saying it, you get what you pay for. And so usually 
when it comes to economics, you pay more for higher quality and you sacrifice some quality for a lower price. It's just a basic principle of economics. The principle applies in other areas of life, however, such as jobs. You want a really fulfilling job, you want to, uh, to be able to progress in your particular profession, you've got to make a commitment to put yourself into that job. And the more you do that, probably, in most cases, the more enjoyable that experience is going to be for you. Well, the same could be said about school. You want to do well in school, you've got to make the commitment to do the work. Take the tests, study the material, learn it effectively. Recreational pursuits are the same way. Do you want to go out and uh, be a good golfer, or do you just want to hack around at the ball? Uh, all kinds of people, they do both, and whichever is good for you. But you see, if you really want to be a good golfer, you've got to learn the game. You've got to practice. You've got to keep playing. You've got to try and try and try to do better and better. Well, the same could be true about playing tennis or, or basketball or football or baseball or you name it, pretty much. The same principle also applies to relationships. If you really want good, deep, fulfilling, and satisfying relationships, whether it's in marriage or some other family relationship or a friendship, then you're going to have to make the commitment to put yourself, really put yourself into nurturing and strengthening and building that relationship. And the fulfillment that you gain will be directly related in all of these cases to the commitment that you make. Well, the principle, same principle, is true in our spiritual life, Christianity. A whole lot of people, they want the benefits of being saved, of being a Christian, without really making the commitment to live the life, to really be a Christian. You see, they want the benefits without the commitment. They want to do what they want to do and live the life they want to live, but they want to be saved. They want to be forgiven. They want to go to heaven. Well, commitment is necessary for the ultimate gift to be realized, and that gift being eternal life with God in heaven. Salvation. The idea of salvation without commitment cheapens God's grace. It's a cheap concept of grace, and it shows terrible disrespect for the price that God paid to give us the opportunity to be saved. We need to never be guilty, even unconsciously, of cheapening God's grace. Now we began to look at John chapter 1 and verse 17, and this is a focal point for a whole lot of people. They misunderstand and terribly misapply the, the application of what this verse really says. John 1 and verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so a lot of people, they'll take that and they'll lose a word in there, in their understanding and application, and they'll pour into it more than what it says. And thereby, they really corrupt the verse. 
through their misunderstanding and misapplication. They'll say, Jesus came to bring law to a close. We don't live under spiritual law anymore. Now, they don't really believe that if you really press them in the matter, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But they'll say, see, it says there that there's a contrast. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're not under, under law anymore. He brought grace and truth, and that's what we live under, grace and truth. We don't live under law anymore. It says the law was given through Moses. And so in our last program, we talked about how that means it refers to, it identifies the Old Testament law that came from God, was given to Moses, and through him communicated to the people of Israel. It was for Old Testament times, from the time that Moses led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage all the way up through the rest of the Old Testament and up until the point that Christ came into this world as the Savior and the bringer of the gospel and New Testament Christianity. So it's not talking about law in general. It says the law. It's referring to a specific spiritual law and then it identifies what that law was or which law it was given through Moses. The law of Moses, the Old Testament law of Moses that God gave to the Israelites through Moses. Now when it says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, we're talking about there the ultimate fulfillment of God's grace. Now, God passed over the sins of the people in Old Testament, uh, the Israelites in Old Testament times as they would offer sacrifices to him. In their frame of mind, I believe that they believed that they were forgiven. And in the sense that God was sending the Savior into the world, I believe that's how they should have understood. But it was not in the ultimate sense that they were forgiven because that would not happen ultimately until the Savior came and went to the cross, paid the price for the guilt of the sins of all mankind through his dying on that cross. In Romans chapter 3, and beginning with verse 23, the Apostle Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that includes you and me being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the ultimate redemption would, was not put into place until Christ went to that cross. But the next verse says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because it is forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. And that's referring back to Old Testament times with the Israelites when God accepted their animal sacrifices. He instructed those sacrifices. He accepted those as a sin offering, and through those he passed over their sins because he knew that he was sending the Savior, who would be the ultimate one-time-for-all-time sacrifice. 
In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, the Hebrews writer wrote this, For this reason, he, that is Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, the old covenant, the law of Moses, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So God passed over the sins of the people back then as they offered the animal sacrifices that God instructed them to offer. But that was all leading up to and pointing toward the ultimate one-time-for-all-time sacrifice that would be made in the physical body of Jesus Christ dying on that cross. We look back at Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 27. Speaking of Christ, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. You see, those sacrifices, they were temporary. And every year, new sacrifice had to be offered to God. But all of that was, again, pointing toward the perfect sacrifice that God would send into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. So coming back to John chapter 1 and verse 17, the law that was given through Moses was the Old Testament law of Moses given to the Israelites from God through Moses. Grace and truth, the ultimate, the ultimate gift of God's grace, Jesus going to that cross. And truth, the fulfillment of the truth that he had been leading the Israelites up toward through all of those Old Testament years, the truth of the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. All of that came through Jesus. All of that came through Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, in another section of this story, we'll go into, or, or of this study, we'll go into more depth as to Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of God's grace. But just kind of laid it out in a nutshell form there. Now, God has always given mankind spiritual law. Always. And today is no exception. We live under spiritual law from God this very day. So anybody who says, we're not under law today, they're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. We've always, mankind has always been under spiritual law from God. When you go back to the garden, and the only account we have in scripture of human beings existing at that particular time was Adam and Eve. Did Were they under any kind of law before God, spiritual law? Were they amenable to any law that God had given them? Absolutely. No question about it. Clear cut, yes. Now someone might say, well, well what law? What, what are you talking about? You go back to Genesis chapter 2. And beginning with verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but 
Okay, so here's a transition coming. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, there was a commandment there from God. A commandment from God. They were to abstain from eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could not eat that. God told them, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That's spiritual law. Now, what would happen when, when they, if they would eat of that particular fruit that God had commanded them not to eat? They would become sinners. Eating of that which God commanded them to not eat was sin. And they would become sinners. Now, what in the world is sin? Sin is a spiritual reality. Disobedience to God. Breaking God's commandments or instructions. Disobeying them either overtly or covertly. Either by action or by omission. Breaking God's commandments, God's instructions, not living by them. They were commanded, do not eat of this particular fruit. And when they did eat of it, they had broken God's spiritual law. Now, there's no other way to understand that. When you look in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the devil in the form of the serpent comes to Eve and he asks her, going back to verse 1 actually, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now that was commandment from God. That was spiritual law. He was not telling them to abstain from the fruit of that particular tree because it would make them physically sick. He was telling them, you abstain from eating the fruit of that tree because eating of it will make you sinners. Spiritual law. Sin is a spiritual concept. And so Adam and Eve were not to eat of the tree that was in the midst of the garden. Now, the principle of law is apparent in that God held them accountable when they disobeyed him and ate that particular fruit of that particular tree. Beginning with verse 16, God said to the woman, it will great, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now that's judgment that God brought upon womankind, not just upon Eve, but on womankind from that point forward. And he wasn't finished with his judgment. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, notice this, of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, 
for out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now God was bringing judgment upon the woman and all womankind, and upon the man and all mankind, upon all of humanity. The ground would be cursed. Now, it would still bring forth crops, but the man's work in planting and tilling and tending those crops and harvesting would be would be less than 100% effective. In fact, thorns and thistles would come forth and choke out the, the fruit of his labor to some extent. He would have to work hard in the sweat of his face to earn his living. And look at the end of verse 19. He was going to die physically. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, as long as the man and the woman had remained faithful to God and obedient to God in the garden, they had access to the tree of life. And as long as they would eat the fruit of that tree, they would live forever without any guilt of sin. But now they were sinners. They disobeyed God's commandment to not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now they entered into sin. And so, verse 23 of Genesis chapter 3, Therefore God, the Lord God sent him, that is mankind, out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God expelled the man and the woman from the garden. They no longer could even enter it because God guarded the ways therein with angels. And they, therefore, they no longer had access to the tree of life. So when God said, till you return to the, down, to, to the, to the ground, for dust you are and to dust you, are, you shall return, Physical death became a reality. They had already died spiritually because they'd become sinners. And they needed, to, they needed God's forgiveness. But they also were going to die physically, just as God had instructed them. So you see, spiritual law existed going all the way back into the garden. We'll look at another example of this in the very early years of mankind on this earth in Genesis chapter 4 next time. Spiritual law has always existed from God to mankind. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the truth of your word, the reality of your expectation of us to live by your teachings faithfully, consistently, obediently. Help us to never have a careless attitude about all of the blessings that you bestow upon us and the grace that you offer to us. Help us to never be careless in our mindset about all of that. But help us, Father, to thankfully and graciously serve you as your faithful followers. Please, Father, please forgive us, gracious Father. This is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.